Hello world, this is Better Tech, a podcast where we chat with some of the most successful leaders about the latest industry developments. So join us as we explore the world reliant on tech. Okay, so Pedro, can you introduce yourself to our audience? My name is Pedro Correa. I am native from Brazil. I'm a U.S. citizen. I've I came to the U.S. in 1978 to study, and I got my master's degree in geoscience from the University of Tulsa, and I uh, have been working in IT uh, for now 28 years, currently working on a low-code process and communication automation platform, or Papyrus platform. So I have these four daughters that you probably <laughs> have heard about it already. And uh, I'm very passionate for, for technology and mainly the part that is now uh, bringing in the human dimension, which I think is long overdue to have the human dimension more in the forefront of technology, right. design, deploy, etc. Right, great. So thank you for that. So the topic that we have for today is how enterprise RPA platform creates an automated virtual workforce. So since you've been in the IT industry for 28 years now, how do you think RPA, like firstly, what is RPA? And in your experience, how do you think it has evolved in recent times? Okay, um, I've been working on RPA quite a lot. And initially, you know, uh, it was just uh, you screen scrape what the, a person would be looking at, and then you would uh, make a program, digitize the fields, what the person would have digitized herself. So this was the original RPA of 20 years ago, where the objective is to reduce error, human error, by in repetitive activities. And so repetitive activities happen a lot in the past and currently as well. So RPA came up as a, as a relief to reduce mistakes and to repeat activities when the volume was very high. So initially that was pretty, pretty good. However, we started having challenges with the evolution of RPA in which we wanted uh, the customer base wanted more data sources to be available to an RPA uh, workflow, okay. an RPA automation. And, uh, you know, they wanted to integrate with another system, so additional logins had to be made. In other words, I think uh, what was meant originally to be very simple and very uh, bread and butter without much complexity that a, a non-programmer could do, became now i even have seen people putting an i ahead of the rpa acronym to denote intelligent robotic process automation the intelligent being the ability yeah is that the next thing in rpa the intelligent yes yes i think the next thing in rpa is exactly the implementation of that i there the intelligent rpa intelligent RPA would involve a pre-processing to generate an environment in which 
repetitive things could be automated with the normal RPA. In my view, therefore, it's like a, it's like a set of concentric uh, circles, like an onion. In the very center, you have the basic, most simple, most primitive RPA, which is right. just right in, in, the, in the outer layers, you will have more artificial intelligence. You will have uh, more uh, environmental capabilities like to bring data from different sources, like uh, from a mainframe, from a SAP, from a different environment even, and then apply all the conditional logic, Boolean logic to set up the environment. We are not even running the robotic process automation. Nowadays, uh, you have uh, the ability to put a, a, a infinite numbers of robots doing things for you. Coordinating these robots require a tool or a platform. So the leaders in robotic process automation usually provide that tool. However, there's still a lot of API programming, which I think gradually next steps they will become more lower code, you know, like citizen development, in which a non-IT person will be able to drag and drop components into a canvas area and generate a new automation that will be a robotic automation. Okay, so I think that we're getting, we're moving gradually toward that direction. Right. And what are the different types of RPA? So you've already mentioned that intelligent automation is the next thing, but is hybrid automation recommended for an SMB or is it more suited to an enterprise? Well, I think hybrid automation is, it's the proper, uh, should be the proper terminology because the RPA by itself, the, the very primitive, just automating uh, repetitive tasks, has very little value in my book for big businesses. However, for small and medium-sized business in certain value chains, in certain processes, RPA can deliver some, some benefits for sure. However, the big, the big money, the big ROI, the big return on investment is on the hybrid. Because you know, when you look at the overall, the whole ecosystem, you have points where RPA in its primitive form, it's most adequate and inexpensive and will do the job. However, when you look far apart, the ecosystem requires more than the primitive RPA can deliver in the sense of integration, in the sense of referential integrity, in the sense of change, change management. It's a big restriction of RPA alone primitive version, you know. So I think that those elements which bring the context of RPA would have to be addressed. And that only with hybrid. And hybrid in that sense, in the sense that I'm giving, just to make sure, it's like non, a non-RPA automation with RPA automation, with intelligent automation. So you look at the ecosystem and say, hey, in these points, I can do primitive RPA. On these other value chains, since there are entities that are outside the company, like providers or alliances or distributors or partners, these guys require that I have the IR 
RPA because I need to bring data from them and the RPA alone would not be able to do that. And then when you farther get away from the center of the onion, <laughs> when you are on the outer cover and then you say, hey, I need to do much more uh, around the basic kernel of primitive RPA in order to get value from automation. So I think that when you said hybrid RPA, I think that is the proper name of robotic process automation because that would include both the primitive RPA from the old times of just screen scraping and repetitive uh, tasks the logical in which you apply Boolean conditional logic to set up the environment where the primitive RPA would run, and the bigger picture where you have a whole initiative or program in which you have strategic goals to meet, in which you have phased implementation where in the beginning you, for example, you would include all the SAP data. And then on the second stage, you will also include data from the mainframe, which you're not uh, using prior. So that approach of a phased automation, like a, a phased hybrid robotic process automation, it's, in my view, the proper way to go because it's scalable. You can do little bitty things and you can do big enterprise things. Okay. So in terms of scalability, is it more suited like an enterprise, for instance, is better able to undertake this procedure as opposed to some, some firm that is just starting out or is just in like medium to small scale enterprise? Well, that's a good question <laughs> because scalability always, always uh, bears on the decision-making structure of the company. So if you have a very large company, but the decision-making process is agile and the, the middle level managers and leaders have authority to make decisions that would allow for you know, a big enterprise to have agility and to be able to address very small uh, processes, very uh, restricted scope, processes than uh, that they would otherwise if they are very rigid that they have a very strong hierarchical approach for decision making that would make it almost uh, they would not be able to to have the the flexibility required to scale well so one department like a one uh, credit analysis department has one rpa uh, flow that they developed to do a specific thing and that has worked great but now they wanted to bring it to other areas that that deal with credit and that would require uh, upper stakeholder decision if that decision is too lengthy it's too complex it involves too many approvers that would not happen so scalability becomes difficult enterprises in which the decision-making structure is tilted and very uh, non-flexible. However, on the other hand, when you talk about smaller, mid-sized companies, usually their decision-making process is faster, more agile. So the scalability obstacles they find, they encounter are not as severe as uh, they are when you're talking about a big enterprise with more than 
two, three thousand, five thousand employees. So when you talk about 500, 600 employees, I think the decision-making process is simpler. I think that the benefit of a certain investment or an initiative such as that would be easily observed and easily uh, without all the politics. I think that, that would be uh, the main reason. So scalability there would be right. a, would be a measure of uh, flexibility of the decision making, how much polit political these decisions are, and how much they are just focused on okay. to get the bottom line. And speaking of an agile decision making process often businesses are left wondering what exactly they should automate. So how can they develop a framework to leverage the full power of RPA? What to, what to automate? It's always uh, part of the initial planning, strategic planning process. And unfortunately, many organizations uh, cut through that and shortcuts and all that. And that it's uh, one of the reasons why I think RPA is not as, as stable in the market as it should be because people either lazy or they don't believe on a very detailed plan. In my book, What to Automate First, that phased sequence, it's uh, the most important critical factor because you need to get buy-in from the cultural institutional level. You need to therefore to have a quick win in which the benefits are clearly, easily understood. So we're talking about people-related factors, not technology. So to answer your question, how would be, how would a company, if they ask me, okay, what do I select to automate first? I think the criteria should be all focusing on perception, on, uh, on perceived value, perceived investment, on perceived uh, how well we're going to be positioned, how much more competitive are we going to be being able to do this? If the answers to these questions, oh, not too much, oh, yeah, it's interesting, it's just a bad project of Joe Blow or somebody, that's not going to be the best way to start. The best way to start, therefore, is the big bang, the big benefit, a great perception, hey, look how innovative and creative we are. We are using the latest technology and here's the results and such and such, et cetera. So I think it's endomarketing, okay? Uh, generating positive perceptions towards the automation effort and personalizing the value. In other words, it's not just the a big value to corporate XYZ, but it also great for John Smith, who is the manager of that effort. And now he's gonna be able to put on his resume that he was a leader of an effort that brought such and such and such benefits. In other words, you need to personalize the value of the technology instead of just letting it uh, at the institutional level. So the person may ask, okay, what is in it for me? Why would I have to put all this effort into learning new ways to do things? So to benefit the company, what do I get? Oh, do you keep your job? Well, is that, is that enough? You know, so if you say, hey, what do I get? I get to, to put in my resume 
that I have been working with RPA that I've led a project that it was successful, that there you can ask the X or Y as the reference, and that in my resume is going to make me more marketable. It's going to uh, amplify and enrich my professional history, therefore. So, therefore, it's valuable. So, I think that, uh, you know, to to select where to start, you need to take all that into consideration much more than than the actual technology itself. I think it's a people thing because people can make it work and and also people can make it fail miserably if, if they are not convinced, if they are not considered, if they are not persuaded, if they if their needs and wants and and uh, desires are not contemplated. Okay, so just surfing around the topic again and in very simple terms, what does an enterprise RPA platform mean for business exactly? Is it more of a machine thing or is it more of a human-centered thing? Well, like I said, uh, I think it, in my opinion, it's more of a human thing, okay? It was generated originally, historically, RPA came about to reduce human hair error. Right. Okay? and repetitive tasks. So it started with human, and I think it will be always a human uh, topic, if you will, because uh, in the long run, it is a complement. Uh, it's not meant to replace the human being, of course. If you're talking about stamps, <laughs> like I remember one of my, one of my old uh, uncles, that was his job. He worked in the post office in Brazil, and his job was to stamp. And that's his instrument. Yeah. It's like that's all he did was stamp. Well, that job is no longer available because you can do that electronically. So for sure, some jobs will be, uh, you know, ended because of technology. But it, you know, the decision making, the exception handling, the things that I told you about change. Change. It's an element. Whenever you put people and technology together. Change challenges all the connections. Change challenges all the human-machine interfaces. So for, for a company to have an RPA platform in which they could, in one hand, in one extreme, take care of very mundane, repetitive processes by uh, automating parts of the tasks and maybe letting the human just approving the final result or monitoring sporadically to make sure things are working according to expectation, you know, that the idea that that it's a, a much better approach than to expect that RPA will, you know, reduce your staff and, and uh, a tremendous numbers. So I think that the executives of large companies should see an RPA platform as an opportunity to Number one, retrain and enhance their team's capabilities because now they're going to have more time to learn new things since part of their job is going to be automated. The second, they have the, the ability to detect places in the value chain of their business in which uh, intervention is more likely to bring uh, Big benefit because you know when you when you just have a string of uh, robotic process automations without 
without intelligence, without a context, without a big picture, you run the risk of, for example, of using data that comes from an outside context that would pollute, for example, your reports, that would bias your predictions, that would uh, interfere on your rationale because you brought data uh, that was that should not be brought in because somebody put that in the RPA without proper planning, without proper uh, environmental setup, you know, that the perception of the onion. RPA primitive in the very center is very limited, very restricted. The real value of automation is when you have the whole picture, when you can uh, ensure the truthness of the data you're using to guarantee that your results are not going to be biased, when you can prepare the, the ideal environment for execution, and when you have the visibility of the business regarding what is it that we're doing and what is it that we are getting on the end of the day as far as that. Right. And taking a more uh, current approach, in your opinion, has the pandemic created an opportunity or obstacle for RPA's wide-scale adoption? Well, you know, uh, once we don't interact in person, the interaction now is electronic. RPA has had its scope expanded because before some things required, you know, face-to-face -face interaction and then the RPA would start executing. Now, since that face-to-face -face interaction is not possible, the RPA, the original scope of the original RPA has to be expanded to include the decisions that need to be made prior. Yeah, how do you think the RPA market is expected to grow in the coming years? And then I, there are people, right? There are employees who think that, you know, a reporting process automation is going to replace humans soon. So what do you think businesses can do to work on these misconceptions? <laughs> yeah, well, I think that uh, reskilling, I think that it's an expansion of the skill, the training, enablement of their staff, Okay, and I think that some risk mitigation needs to be included. For example, RPA raises some risks that were not so critical. For example, when you commit one mistake and you're doing something manually, maybe you do it two or three times and then you detect the mistake. When you commit a mistake with an RPA, you only detect it after 5,000 repetitions. And I think that the, as RPA evolves, the maturity of the companies regarding this vision that I provided, which the human dimension, it's more uh, critical. It's, it's contemplated and, and valued in the planning, in the design of the RPA operations themselves. I think that there, that's the way to evolve to make RPA more human-driven. And that means reskilling, enhancing the skill set of your staff. 
okay. so that they they know how to use RPA within the constraints that RPA in each instance will have, and that requires knowledge. It's not uh, intuitively available to anyone doing RPA. You need to understand, you need to study that kind of thing. And uh, the other one is more and more the inclusion of artificial intelligence and machine learning into RPA uh, value chain in which uh, the risks go back into data quality. The risks go back into not taking into consideration the observers. The risk goes back into uh, getting stuck in a simple RPA just because, uh, you know, we don't want to be messing around with something that is working. And because of that, you don't enhance, you don't grow. So I think that the RPA will evolve each time being more intelligent, each time including more and more, uh, more and more artificial intelligence and machine learning. But in my in my warning point of view, in my alert, I think we need to be careful because we don't want to amplify the existing risks that RPA presents. Right. Just by the anxiety to, oh, I want to do RPA, I want to do RPA, and then you don't do a proper training, you don't take it to consideration, proper strategic alignment. And like I told you, the great question you ask, uh, how to determine which are the first projects, how do I start? Which, in my view, it's all about the human dimension. It's bringing your staff with you as an RPA leader, say, hey, I'm bringing something new. It's going to bother everybody. It's going to break a lot of rules. It's going to be exceptional to every every person in this company. However, it's going to be great. It's going to be a good trip. And the, on the other side of the trip, we all going to benefit from it. And that message is something very important. Right. All right, Pedro. Thank you for joining us on Veritech, and thank you so much for your insights around RPA. My pleasure. Please keep in touch. Thanks for listening to WeatherTech. We look forward to bringing you the latest industry news in our next episode. In the meantime, check out our other episodes at techcell.com slash podcast and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss an episode.